this is a new episode of Volvo La Revolution with me, Esther. I'm the creator of Volvo La Revolution and this episode I was joined by the fantastic Sophie Williams, aka at Official Millennial Black on Instagram. Her amazing Instagram page has so much useful information about how to be an anti-racist ally and that is incidentally the name of her new book or her first new book which is available for pre-order and it comes out in October. Um, I just wanted to flag that in this episode I feel like I come across as a very chilled out gal. Um, I think I've not been feeling too well over the past two weeks and so it seems like I'm just super relaxed in this conversation but I hope that despite that you enjoy this episode and um, if you wanted to get in touch with me you can do um, on Instagram it's at Volvo Revolution on Facebook you can search Volvo Revolution on Twitter my handle is at Volvo La Revolt and if you wanted to drop me an email you can do at um, Volvo La Revolution at gmail.com I hope you enjoyed this episode and have a great day I am with author of two upcoming books, Anti-Racist Ally and Millennial Black, Sophie Williams. Thank you so much for joining me on this virtual podcast recording. How are you? Not at all. Thank you so much for having me. I am really well, thank you. Even though it's like the hottest day of the year, how are you doing? I live in the north and yeah so it is not the hottest day although I am in a cold house so I can't tell I've not been outside really yet but I'm good thank you (laughs) I've been caught out by that um sort of London centric thinking a few times so many times like I'm doing podcasts or whatever and I'm like oh yeah this like thing and people are like no not everyone lives in London I'm like oh yeah okay cool sorry so for me it's a very very hot day (laughs) I know, and I and every time I speak to someone on Zoom and they're in London or just in the South, I'm like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Lucky you. So, it's been a real wild ride for you these these past <laughs> few months. Yeah. How how are you feeling? Like, are you absolutely exhausted? Are you riding high on the adrenaline of of constantly, I guess, being talked to and having to chat about anti-racism, your new books, all of these things? It sort of varies. There are times when I'm like, oh yeah, this is really good, like building momentum, it's doing all this stuff. And there are other times when I'm like, I absolutely cannot do this. Um, So it sort of really sort of comes and goes. It's sort of, for me, it's the difficulty of managing that side of things along with, um, it turns out editing is hard. So alongside editing two books and um, obviously, no one pays me to run the Instagram. So also mm. then managing, sort of taking on and then completing pieces of paid work. It's all just lots lots of different sort of things, which are all individually beneficial and valuable, but sort of figuring out where they all sit and what you prioritise and, you know, all of that stuff. Totally. So you were writing Millennial Black um, and then, I guess, for anyone who doesn't know, like it kind of took a turn because of kind of the the momentum of the Black Lives Matter movement after the murder of George Floyd. And you started posting such useful resources um, through the Millennial Black Instagram page. And then it kind of just like 
blew up mm. <laughs> um, and I just wondered kind of how that all kind of came about and where, and also whether you knew going in into making those really useful infographics and slides and everything whether you thought like this is the most useful and way to share information because it's so efficient and sound bitey and people just can absorb it so easily yeah i think there's a couple of of bits of your question um <laughs> so uh where should we start um i guess like when did you decide you were going to do something um I didn't really mean to do something. This whole thing has sort of been accidental. So I guess I guess the easiest way to express it is I already had the Millennial Black Instagram account, which is at official Millennial Black. And that's just because I have a book called Millennial Black, which is coming out in April of 2021. Um, the hesitation there is because I now have two books. I have to remember which comes out when. So that was always going to be coming out in April of 2021. And... Um, because my background is in social, particularly organic social, um, I'm aware that if you're going to have a property, you should just get the handles for it early on. That's just a sensible thing to do. And so I was using that. My audience was primarily other black women because that is sort of the crux of Millennial Black as a book. And I was just using that to sort of, you know, very slowly seed out like pieces of information and sort of try to build a community. So I would say in like mid-May, I was being like, oh yeah, I fucking made it. I've got almost a thousand followers. This is great. I've got time to build up this community. It's really gonna, it's really gonna work or I'm really gonna try and make it work. Um, and then so many black American people were murdered, including George Floyd, as they have been for ever, essentially. Um, but I think that combined with lockdown, combined with corona, combined with us all being at home and sort of being able to engage with things in a way that we sort of potentially haven't been in the past. Um, so I spent the day that the news of George Floyd came out essentially crying into a pillow um, and feeling like there was nothing I could do. And then I was like, OK, maybe I can talk about what people can do because I'm not an ally. In, in terms of being an ally to the black community because I'm part of that community. But I do try to sort of be considerate. Um, I try to act in a way that other people would be able to call me an ally because I don't believe in calling yourself an ally really, um, of other communities. And so I was like, okay, how can I sort of encourage people to do that for this community? So I made um, my first sort of like infographic on Instagram. And I don't know if I'd seen other people doing that before really. Um, but my background is words, not pictures. And so I sort of wanted to use the platform that I had with almost a thousand people um, to sort of do something that was words based. So I just put that out and it's really bad. It's got loads of typos in it. It's got like a whole duplicated slide in it. Like anytime someone looks at it. I have never noticed. It's something that I look at a lot and never notice. (laughs) Other people definitely have. so yeah, I just, I don't know if I've really answered your question, but sort of, I didn't know that I was going to be doing something because there was no one there. I was just sort of talking to a couple of hundred people. But then I don't know why or how, but overnight, it went from being like almost a thousand people to being like 
10,000 people to 20,000 people. And I think now it's 177,000 people. Um, so yeah, I've sort of built this little community um, in this sort of anti-racist allyship space. Yeah, and it's so interesting because I think that allyship is a conversation that has, I think is particularly kind of become part of our vernacular in 2020 mm. or maybe towards the end of 2019 but in terms of things like an anti-racist ally or an LGBTQ plus ally, uh, mm-hmm. trans ally it's definitely a conversation that's been had and I think that I, I found it really interesting that you kind of chose to focus on allyship um, and why was it that you that you did at first as well because I guess then you move, you've moved on so the reason that was my initial my initial post was about allyship was because we as a black community have been doing this work we've always been doing this work and unless other people take it on as something that they also champion we will continue to have to do this work and so will the next generation and so will the next because we didn't make these systems we didn't make these processes and we cannot dismantle them ourselves and it's not because we don't have the skills to dismantle them it's because those systems have meant that marginalized people are not generally speaking represented at the highest points of society and people will respond to this and say there was a black president the fact that you can name one black president shows that there's a problem it doesn't show that there's not a problem and so yeah i wanted to do something that would say here are these people who are advantaged in this way and here's how you can use that advantage to help people um and that really changed who my audience was so as i said because for millennial black is a book primarily about black women um that was the primary audience that post really shifted who my audience was and where my audience base was and so i suddenly felt oh all these people are messaging me and they're saying i've never thought about this before or I thought I was doing the right thing by sort of saying I was colorblind and sort of treating everybody the same, or I've signed my first ever petition, I've been to my first ever protest, I've made my first ever donation. So all of those things meant that I could see that my audience base had shifted and I had to make the decision of, do I want to, do I want, do I want that? And I felt that I sort of had to because if these people are sort of being engaged for the first time ever and I've been able to do something that's made them engaged, I need to then sort of do what I can to keep them as engaged as possible for as long as possible. Um, that's been tricky. That's been tricky because I then have to figure out how to talk to this new audience in a way that's authentic and that still challenges them to make change without making them sort of defensive about what they've already done. So it's it's this sort of constant balance, um, but it seems worthwhile to me. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I guess that's something that I didn't even think about, really, that kind of first time engaging, because I guess I think that you likely in the same kind of bubble as me on on Instagram where it's like all of these really engaged Mm. voices and actually and I do think that in the real world or the offline world I've seen so much more engagement from colleagues and peers and family members and things like that Um, and I just wondered whether you think like now is this is this a real turning point in is 2020 a real turning point for 
change black lives matter movement in particular anti-racism in particular but also change i don't know it's probably the thing i get asked the most and i don't know because you know in the beginning i can only speak to sort of what i can see and what i can see is quite limited um but I can sort of see my own stats and my own sort of analytics and that sort of thing. And I can see that my followers go down. Um, I can see that engagement goes down. I can see every week I ask people for their um, allyship actions. I ask what they've done that week in an allyship space. To begin with, I was getting several, several hundreds of responses every week. Um, A few weeks ago, it went down to about 100. This week, it's about 200. So although it's still there, I think engagement is dwindling, which is really scary. Um, But that's why I'm trying to do what I can to take these conversations as well offline. So I sort of had um, a series of big um, posters that went up on billboard sites in London or um, turning this into a book. So I have a second book, which is coming out before my first book, which is confusing. Um, But I have a book called Anti-Racist Ally, which is coming out in October of 2020 and that is it's a small book it's an introduction it's like six pounds and that's designed to be something that is a sort of really low barrier to entry that people can share because I want to find ways to keep having these conversations offline and to keep this momentum um yeah because I don't know if it's a long-term change I hope so but I don't know yeah it's obviously hard to tell isn't it and it's hard it's hard to be tricked into being comfortable again I think um yeah like we... they did that to me with Brexit I can't <laughs> it can't happen again we just keep on getting tricked I was like it's fine then I was like oh fuck <laughs> and you so moving like kind of away from the allyship you, you go into so much more detail on things like workplace diversity committees and the gender and race pay gap and you actually come from an advertising background, is that right? Mm-hmm. And you, th- that's how Millennial Black came about. Mm-hmm. Can you just like tell me a bit more about why you wanted to, wanted to write Millennial Black in the first place? Because obviously that was <laughs> before, before all of this, so. <laughs> yeah, so that process started years ago. I probably started working on that proposal two and a half, three years ago. And that was because I, as you say, I worked in advertising. I started out as a runner, um, eventually became chief operating officer. And I found that, um, again, in London, in the UK, advertising is a very homogenous environment. It's very white, it's very middle class, it's very male, and it's quite old, um, especially at senior levels. Um, So when I became chief operating officer, um, of a social agency, I discovered that people were still sort of treating me not that differently to how they treated me when I was a runner. So they would still expect me to sort of be the person making notes or or making coffee or someone would come for an interview for a role that I was hiring and they would just be like, oh, you know, don't worry, I'll just wait here until like the people are ready. And I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm the people, I'm ready, welcome. Um, so I... So I started looking for books. I was like, right, maybe I'm fucking up here. So then I started looking for books about sort of leadership. So I was like, okay, 
Um, there were two founders for the company. They, at various points, sort of stepped away to do not other business things, but to like take breaks or whatever. And so I was often the person who was left sort of running that business. I was like, okay, if I'm going to be doing this, I'm at that point probably 29 or 30 or something. So quite young to be running someone else's business. Um, I was like, okay, I need to upskill here, figure out what what sort of the the management behaviours are and how to make this work. So there's lots and lots of books about sort of leadership and lots of lots of books um, about leadership for women. And when I read them, I felt that most of them, or to be honest, all of them that I found were based on an assumption of whiteness in their readers. So I use Lean In as an example, not because I don't think it's a good book, because I do. And actually, I pull on um, the Lean In Foundation's research quite a lot because it's actually a really good, robust data set. But in terms of the book, advice like lean in, use your voice, ask for what you want, you know, be part of those conversations, really put yourself forward. is really great if you are not from a group of people who are characterised as being angry or aggressive when they do use their voices. And I couldn't find anything that spoke to that particular experience. Then I was like, right, I'm going to have to write a book. So then I wrote a book. <laughs> love it <laughs> like you can't, you can't see it then you've just got to do it exactly <laughs> yeah and what kind of advice I guess without giving too much away because obviously people should read the book but what kind of advice do you have there if if people can't use their voice and push be, be pushier in inverted commas mm-hmm. in in a conversation what what kind of techniques and behaviors have you have you kind of been writing about Hmm. so it's actually really interesting because i'm actually had to pause on sort of the edit process of that to do anti-racist ally so now i'm back on that and i've been doing that this morning Um, and i think it's really important to point out that this book is not saying to black women here's what you have to change here are the sort of things that you need to do if you want to succeed Um, it points out the 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 ways in which black women are traditionally marginalised within companies, whether that is their voices not being heard, whether it is them not being paid equally, whether it is them not being promoted at the same sort of pace as their majority peers. So it points those things out and gives black women sort of the tools and the knowledge to say, is this happening in my career? Can I spot these things? And there is some advice for black women, but there's also advice for business leaders who are, again, traditionally not black women because of those sort of marginalised sort of states that I've already spoken about. And so a lot of the advice is for business leaders to say, here's how you um, create salary banding. Here's how you do this or that. Here's how you diversify your recruitment pipeline. Here's how you make sure that once you've recruited well, the people who you bring into your business are not sort of siloed or sidelined or marginalised again. So it's about saying, here are the problems here's how you can spot them, and here's how you, as a business leader, need to fix them instead of putting them back onto the shoulders of already marginalised people. That's so interesting, and I have pre-ordered, I'm really looking forward to it, because also I think it's interesting, I'm like a junior person in a company, and I think I, I also wanted to read it in terms of, it's just useful, I think, to understand the the experiences of of other people in a corporate Mm. setting especially as I'm a white middle class woman and it's I'm aside from white middle class men it's like I'm coasting kind of through (laughs) because this is it was this place was built for me yeah so I think it's really interesting 
to kind of see that context as well. And I think it's really um, useful for everyone to sort of see what different groups experience. And that's why it really is focused on black women. So it's not on like all BAME people. It's not on all black people. It's about the unique experience of having both blackness and womanness as part of your identity. And I hope it's obvious, but just to reiterate, I um, consider everyone who considers themselves to be a woman to be a woman. It's not sort of about that, although I have been sort of mindful to interview people with various gender identities and um, sexualities, disabilities. So because I think just looking at black women is really useful, but then also looking at those different intersections is also really sort of important if we want to really understand what different groups are experiencing. Um, So many people were like, just make it about all non-white women, but I can't speak, I can't speak well or authentically about like the Bangladeshi female experience. And a lot of the stats show that actually it's a much more difficult experience than black women. And, you know, the Chinese female experience is different again. So it's about just sort of understanding that we need to stop. Um, And this isn't a criticism of you, you haven't done this, but just we as a group need to stop um, putting all people from marginalised racial backgrounds into one cluster and saying this is them, because really there's sort of a lot of nuance in there. Mm, Totally. And you kind of touched on it when you were talking just then about kind of not putting change and and conversations on the shoulders of those marginalized people or um the group who who you're working towards change for mm-hmm. and i just another conversation that's been happening more and more in 2020 is is talking about fatigue and and not putting responsibility on black friends to explain things to you and, and things like that and i just wondered how you've been navigating writing literally writing a book about anti-racism whilst also kind of protecting your own mental health because i'm sure it must be just wild trying to trying to spin all of those plays whilst just existing in the world and moving through the world and especially in 2020 when it's the craziest time anyway so yeah it's really tiring it's really hard um i think the fatigue of non-white people, the fatigue of me as a black woman is really high. And it actually really, really annoys me when people, like people will slide into my DMs and just be like, what does ally mean? And it's like, it's it's actually truly genuinely quicker to Google it because Google will give you an answer and I'm not going to. Just like, I really think people are starting to understand about taking responsibility for their own learning. Um, but yeah, it's really tiring and it's bullshit. Like you can look stuff up yourself. Um, I think people try to do it to show that they're engaging potentially um, without considering that actually, yeah, they're just putting a lot of work onto people's plates that they could just take on themselves. Totally. And how, do you just like say no or do you just not engage entirely? Because I'm sure there must have been so many instances where you have to kind of really put your own, put your boundary up when people are um, pushing against that. It kind of varies. Um, sometimes I will answer them um, if I'm in sort of a good mood or if I've sort of already been really productive that day. So I feel like I've got some spare time. Um, and then the rest of the time, uh, I just... So things go into like your requests inbox and they don't even show as read until you've accepted them. So they just don't accept them. They never know that I've seen it. Um, like, But what I have noticed is... 
I used to try to respond to all of the comments on my posts um, to the extent that I got blocked because they were like, no, this is a spam bot, no one does this. Um, You're a dedicated woman. Oh my God. <laughs> Honestly, I just felt like if these people are finally ready to have this conversation, I should be there for it. Um, but then I realised it wasn't possible and Instagram was also like, no, you can't do this. Um, what I have noticed though is if people are either being wild or have a genuine question expressed well in the comments, other people will come and have a conversation with them. They'll do that work for me. Um, so then I can have a nap. That's nice. Yeah, I don't really have <laughs> that, time for a nap with happy. the two books, but... You know. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. <laughs> and how did you even kind of... when You were, you must have just been like, cool, I'm going on this train. I'm already writing one book, which everyone says is like the hardest thing to do. And then all of a sudden you have to write a second book. Was it just like steers completely off the first book and then getting into planning anti-racist ally? Yeah, absolutely. So when we agreed with um, HarperCollins that we were going to do this anti-racist ally book, I was two weeks, I think, away from what was meant to be the final delivery of Millennial Black. And so they sent me the schedule for putting it all together. Um, and I was like, OK, this is this is ridiculous, but I'm sure I can do it. But it will mean that I have to sort of delay Millennial Black for a while. And they were like, fine, which is why I'm sort of I've got three chapters at the moment left to just do my final edits on and then I should be able to deliver it, which I'm really looking forward to because, yeah, I um, would like a bit of a rest. Mm, I bet. Um, So I guess something that I've been thinking about is because social media has been such a powerful tool over the past few months, especially during lockdown when we felt like you can't physically do much in terms of change, but you have this kind of platform to talk to people and, and... disseminate information but also it's a space where you get immediately get the title influencer if you become anyone of of influence and I just wondered whether you'd been kind of navigating that and how you've been feeling uh, feeling about that complex kind of word and whether it's something that you associate with or so yeah the conversation about influencer is really weird I think a newspaper who sort of ran a story about um about it all was the first person to refer to me as an influencer and I was like lol um but I don't know I don't really care what people call it um I feel like influencers I feel like the like perception of influencer is one that they get free stuff um which I don't but I want free stuff so if you want to give me some free stuff (laughs) cool I'll put that at the the top of this promoting this podcast perfect (laughs) Sophie Williams give her free stuff um (laughs) And I think, yeah, I think the sort of idea of influencer traditionally is that it has um, been sort of a job or like a monetized like revenue stream, which isn't what mine is. Mine is just me doing work for like someone the other day. It was like, you'd be sad if racism ended because you'd have to find a new job. And I was like, who do you who do you think pays me for this? No one pays me for this. This isn't my job. Like, this is just stuff I do because I'm trying to like make something happen so yeah I think influencers suggest that it's sort of monetized which it isn't but are the pieces of information that I'm sharing influential I hope so people have said that it's sort of changed how they have thought about things or approached things um so yeah maybe maybe the way that we use the word will evolve or maybe there'll be a new word for people who are doing sort of the sort of things that I'm trying to do but yeah I don't I don't mind it 
well that's good I think that sometimes it can be kind of reductive when I don't necessarily think that in itself it is mm-hmm. um, but it's just the way that we view people who make money from Instagram and yeah. social media which I don't but would be up for being <laughs> so um, and what like how do you even manage your time in terms of coping with making all this stuff for in- Instagram do you have a day job as well as writing your books is it are you doing all three yeah so um I don't think there's been a period where it's been all three actually so up until January I was doing sort of freelance work so I um was freelancing for Netflix doing some marketing for um The Crown and The End of the Fucking World and Sex Education so I was doing some projects for them um and they're a really nice company they've got a really great team um, and then I decided to take some time in January to sort of really focus on the book. And I was like, I will have that done by March, April. And then I will sort of go and, <clears throat> sorry, then I'll sort of go and pick up some more freelance work. Um, but then COVID happened and that sort of freelance market sort of wasn't there anymore. And so I just carried on working. Um, so at the moment, Andres' Ally is completely delivered. Um, so that is sort of in sort of the hands of the the production team and sort of becoming a real book, which is wild. I can't believe it's going to be a real book. Um, so at the moment, I'm just focusing on finishing off uh, Manual Black and doing sort of diversity consulting work. So working with brands who want to be either more inclusive internally or who want to sort of um, be able to more accurately, accurately represent a wider group um, for their clients or they are working on a particular project and they want to make sure that they are handling it in sort of a sensitive way. So those sort of people call me up and I make sure that they don't um, fuck up as best as I can. That's really interesting. Do you encounter kind of repeat behaviours? I was going to say repeat offenders, I didn't. <laughs> but, you know, like repeat yeah offensive behavior um i think people are just not even i think how do i want to express this i think people even with the best intentions, sometimes don't know that they're doing damaging things and it takes somebody to be able to point that out to them it's really hard when you are inside a business and you're a marginalized person to say to your boss what the fuck are you doing that's really offensive but if you bring someone in for that purpose, um, that suddenly becomes a much easier conversation for me to have because you can't fire me. I'm freelance. I've got some other stuff I can be doing. Whereas if it's someone who's junior person in the company, that can be like a real decision of like, do I want to do I want to call this out because I feel like it might cost me my job. Um, so yeah, people who don't know what they're doing, even with well-intentioned people. Um, sometimes make mistakes and they sometimes make that same mistake again because it's become a habit for them so part of what I do is just to say that thing we talked about you've done it again and I'm the only person who can point this out to you because of the culture that you've made which is another thing that you are going to need to fix mm. that's so interesting um, and when you're talking on Instagram and I said earlier that you talk about things like the gender and race pay gap you talk about people's kind of diversity um, committees mm-hmm. um, what do you kind of choose to address is it just something that you've seen that's talked about a lot is there, is there are there things that you've wanted to talk about for ages that this is now the platform in which you can do 
Yeah, it's exactly that. It's not things that I've seen that are getting traction that I then go to talk about because um, they might not be the things that I sort of am best placed to talk about. Whereas um, doing the research for Millennial Black over these last few years has pulled up loads of really interesting things that I've been like, oh, this is in the book. Um, But yeah, this new platform has given me a way to sort of address it in a different way and reach a different audience um, than the book, sooner than the book. Um, So yeah, that's been really interesting and really sort of really useful because they're conversations, as you said, that I've been wanting to have, but have maybe not had the um, platform to have those conversations um, in a useful way before, except on like small individual basis. Mm. I I wondered, kind of just thinking about when I was... um, writing my questions and and like I followed you kind of before you started that anti-racist ally stuff and Mm -hmm. I was just it's just been really interesting to watch how your platform has changed and also I just kind of wondered whether you feel now that that because this is a conversation that's broader whether you feel more like you are expressing what you've kind of always wanted to express in a more explicit way because I think that you've always posted about anti-racism but I think now because the conversation has moved on it's much more explicit in terms of talking about racism. Yeah I think so Um, and I think that's partially because of what society will accept. I think if I had had a platform uh, six months ago that was about racism I don't think it would have had many followers. And I'm not saying that because the sort of number of followers that you have is sort of the important thing, but it is in terms of the number of people who can hear your message and the sort of amount of efficacy that it had. Because if my account still had 30 followers, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. I wouldn't be having these conversations. So it would still be very, very limited. So the reason for me that those um, followers are valuable are not because of some kind of um, status symbol, but because of the chances and opportunities that that sort of brings up. Um, But I would be interested to find out what you think sort of those changes have been. Um, Because it's really interesting for me to understand how people view the account because sometimes I'm worried that it's really shit so it's really good to hear from other people sort of what what it yeah what it's like well I guess I am someone who's always interested in following things or I I I love to see things articulated that I think but that are articulated well you know having that kind of yes that's that I was thinking that and that's what I think that I think before because you were posting a lot of like other people's work it Mm. was it was it's always been interesting to me but now I'm like I I knew this was a thing I knew that like for example the gender rape race pay gap I knew that was a thing and having that articulated or even just having allyship articulated and like I said I, I look back at that post often because I want to kind of I guess challenge myself but also Mm. kind of people have a lot of conversations because I I post a lot about a lot of issues that I care Mm -hmm. about and I find it really useful looking at those looking at your infographics I can't think of a better like a less um yeah no that's what everyone calls them like I'm fine with it it feels really like um should be in a textbook but it's not it's really interesting and great um (laughs) um 
and kind of sending those things on and kind of almost in that way that's like this is how we can inform ourselves and inform each other and that's I think what it has become and I think it has become a real go-to resource for me personally um and also because I think that I didn't quite know what millennial what black was when when I started following you Mm. I just liked all the posts that you were that you were (laughs) posting and then I kind of looked I looked into it more and I think as someone who doesn't necessarily sit in a business space my job is like largely creative um Mm -hmm. and like it's in the media I think it's the kind of Venn diagram of that is so interesting to inform me of something a like a a a world that I'm not aware of in terms of Mm corporateness and also that kind of that all of the useful resources that you Mm. that you put up thank you thank you hard work now that I I know that that's just how you spend all of your time (laughs) but it's also um just so your listeners know I am also a really big fan of your Instagram and like every so often um you'll have like oh here's like all my saved stuff and I'm like "Mm mm-hmm great love it love it like yeah so I think we have like a little mutual appreciation society going on I think we do and um one thing that I kind of didn't cock until I was looking at your, uh, uh, that, till I was writing these questions, is that Justin Bieber shared one of your posts, which is actually wild. Yeah, absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. I was on the sofa, ready for bed, when <laughs> someone just sent me a message with a screenshot. They were like, is this yours? I was like, oh my God. And like, I, I, I like took a screenshot of my Fitbit because you can see like, oh, really chill, really, oh no. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that wasn't sort of how it took off, but it was very, very, very early in it taking off. Um, but then he didn't tag me. So it was, so just for your listeners, it was a post about being a good ally and like amplifying voices and like all of this stuff. And he shared it, but he shared a version, um, which I'm told is on Twitter. I don't have Twitter. Um, he shared a version which had my, um, watermark cut off. Um, so all of my posts have official millennial black on them, but that had been cut off and it just wasn't credited to anyone. Um, so then I had to be like, you know, assemble, allies assemble. And like everyone like went and like commented and like, please tag the creator, la 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 la. Um, and then he tagged me and that was good. But yeah, it was, it was really, it was a time where a lot of well-known people were sharing it um and I despite like working in social and having like had Netflix as a client for a long time I'm not very good at pop culture so loads of people would send me stuff and they'd be like oh this person I'd be like okay great not knowing who it was doing a quick google um but yeah Bieber was probably the most shocking because it was sort of the first time that that happened Mm. it's also really interesting I guess watching like celebrities and people engage because I think that being at home, like you said earlier on, mm. I think it has like been a good mo, uh, like a good. It's been the moment, yeah. Yeah, for people to learn and like it, they have space to learn. They should always have been learning, but now they've got sweet FA to do. So it's like they can't ignore it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of just wanted to ask you, what's next? you i have been saying all of this was an accident (laughs) um 
I don't know. I had thought that the biggest thing that would happen this year would just be me getting ready for Millennial Black next year. No, that is the, just the wildest thing, is that you already had, like, the biggest thing that could happen to you happening. Yeah. <laughs> Twice yeah. now. Twice now. So I don't know. Like, in the next few months, I need to sort of do some promo for the book. Um... Like, but in terms of, like, professionally or, like, content or whatever, I honestly couldn't tell you. I, I don't know. I um, need to make sure that I um, have long-term revenue streams so I can continue to support myself to be able to continue to sort of do this sort of side work. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Just going to have have a little rummage around see what oh I hadn't even thought of that maybe but then you don't earn money when you're having a rest so I don't know oh I hate that (laughs) (laughs) and where can people follow you on Instagram and pre or where can people pre-order your book so on Instagram you can follow me at official millennial black Uh, millennial is hard to spell but you will figure it out and um my book so Millennial Black is available on pre-order everywhere except America, Canada and the Philippines. And you can get that um, on Amazon, you can get it on Waterstones, like all kinds of uh, UK places. And then Anti-Racist Ally, again, is available all of those places except America, Canada and the Philippines. Although we should have some news on that very, very soon. I literally emailed my American publisher today just to be like, please. Um, and that is also available um, on Amazon and on various other sort of physical booksellers for um, pre-order. And all of the links to all of those places you can buy are in my link tree at the top of my um, of my Instagram. And I think it's really important because I didn't know this um, until quite recently. Um, it's worth noting that pre-ordering books actually really really helps authors um i hadn't realized until recently that all of um all of pre-ordered books go into week one sales count so that is how when books come out they um become bestsellers in their first week because all of that build-up period is in that and also pre-orders determine things like how many books are printed in that print run or even things that um like design focused like um what sort of finishes and textures are on the cover like all of these things sort of really depend on how well things pre-sale so not just me if there's any sort of authors who you like who are talking about their book and it's not out yet it's really really helpful um to be able to pre-order that if you have sort of the disposable income at that time great thank you so much for talking to me no thank (laughs) you so much for having me it's been really nice